0: Welcome to the Autism Outreach Podcast. Today, we are talking all about dyslexia and we're also talking about how to embed literacy within our sessions. So if you have students who either have a diagnosis of dyslexia or you have students who are having trouble and struggling with reading, writing, spelling, speaking, and comprehension, you are going to want to listen to this episode. Jeanette shares with us, I have Jeanette Robert, who is a fellow speech-language pathologist She shares with us how to embed literacy into our sessions, and it's really great information for all learners. So we also talk about what does a multisensory approach to literacy look like? Uh, What is the role of the speech-language pathologist when we're supporting students who are struggling in these areas? And how we also need to value diversity and that books need to be mirrors, stepping stones, springboards, and sliding glass doors. I had never heard that before and I really love it so much. You know Jeanette probably from Instagram and all social media is barely articulating. She is an author that has worked as a speech language pathologist, software engineer, and educator. She just got back from West Africa and Kenya. She has spoken in over 40 countries. She has such an amazing body of work and she just, wrote a new book called Technical Difficulties Why Dyslexic Narratives Matter in Tech. I can't wait for you to dig into this episode and to get inspired on how to embed literacy into your sessions to support your students with dyslexia, autism, and anybody who's struggling with those different tenets. Let's dig on in. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us today on episode 65. We have an amazing episode today. We have with us Jeanette Robert. Thanks so much
1: for joining us. It's so great to have you on. Thank you, Rose, for having me, inviting me, and just being your chipper cheery self. And I want to say, I really appreciate how exquisitely you pronounced my name. Thank oh, you.
0: Thank you. Because <laughs> names, everybody, it's funny. I live in a neighborhood and we have found out over the past five years that we've been saying every single person's name wrong. So my husband be very no. proud of me that I that I nailed that name. So thank you for the pep talk there. Um, It's really nice to meet you in real life. We were chatting before I pressed record and I, I feel like we did last year like a, a collab, a TikTok collab and put it on Instagram reels and all that good stuff. So you've been in my orbit for a while and I was like, oh, I need to have her on. And um, you have such an area of expertise. So I'm excited just to learn more about you and your journey to becoming a speech therapist and um, all that good stuff. So if people are not familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about you, your journey, how you became a speech therapist? And I know you specialize in dyslexia and just kind of how that journey started for you.
1: Awesome. So um, who doesn't love to talk about themselves, right? So <laughs> I started my journey as an SLP in 2011, and I worked um, in Jackson, Mississippi. Shout out to Jackson State University. And um, with that in mind, my caseload at the public school was primarily students that had language-based learning disorders. And the word dyslexia was thrown out a couple times, but it wasn't legitimate just yet within the scope of legislation. So it was something that people said, maybe, possibly, I don't know, it sounds like this, but they weren't sure and they could not diagnose someone as such Without you know going through the proper channels that were necessary, so um, with this word being a buzzword, I decided to start looking further into this. And I'm saying you know, well, majority of my caseload has these very specific characteristics, and um, I want to be able to treat and intervene with these individuals at their level. So. Um, And when I say individuals, I mean students. I don't know why I'm trying to make it seem like I'm working in some private practice setting (laughs) or something. So um, I wanted to know how to meet the students um, where they were. And so I went on a Google spree and I was searching away all the ways in which I could become more proficient as an SLP, more efficient with Um, treating, diagnosing, and even intervening with someone who had dyslexia. So with that in mind, um, took a few courses, got a few certificates in that space, and then I fully felt like I was ready to start working um, specifically with that particular language-based learning disorder. I created a private practice where I provided Orton-Gillingham trained tutoring for students. And then I moved cross-state. So, well, not, I'm sorry, let me dial back. Not cross-state, cross-country. So I moved from Mississippi to Michigan. And when I got to Michigan, I was in a state of wanting to reinvent myself. So I did all of this great work over here in Mississippi. I even worked with the governor at a point where we created legislation so that students could be assessed at kindergarten to first grade, and then they would be on a pathway to intervention. So um, if you are looking for a state that is doing some amazing things in the dyslexia space, Mississippi is certainly it. Um, but having moved to Michigan, I started looking more into um, voice recognition, AAC, and technologies assistive devices and tools, because again, I was wanting to reinvent myself. So within that space, I learned how to program and I learned how to code. (laughs) And I started kind of working on the tech side of things. And now I would say that I am kind of intersecting the two. So I have this background in dyslexia intervention, and then I'm also working to help tech companies create uh, pathways for adults who have these innovative and imaginative brains, and they're finding it hard to fit into that um, that proverbial, like, what is it? The the round hole in the square <laughs> peg yeah. sort of situation. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. That's my current work as a, a speech-language pathologist and software engineer. I am also the founder and CEO of Barely Articulating. So, just a little bit about me.
0: <laughs> yeah, busy, busy. I love yeah. it. So, are you? So, are you practicing? And do you have a private practice now? Are you seeing clients too? Or are you doing more systems and helping out with software and things like that? So
1: that's a great question. I will say that um, at this juncture, I am focused on creating courses um, around. Either the two. So I've taken a step back from practicing privately, and now I'm looking at um, creating that income that will allow me to create amazing bodies of work online and people can access it with ease. So I'm going to be working with a couple different companies to create um, different resources around literacy based speech and language therapy, hmm. um, around assistive technology and what that looks like for dyslexic learners hmm. and everything that kind of falls into that purview. Oh, that's awesome.
0: That sounds very exciting and stuff that I <laughs> love to do too. So yay, I know we were going to get along. So <laughs> for our listeners that may not be familiar with dyslexia, you know, I'm wondering initially, do you know what the prevalence rate of dyslexia is? Is it considered low incidence or do you know like... Is there an incidence rate that they have, uh, like a statistic that they talk about?
1: So usually the statistic that everyone kind of harps on is based off a study done in um, Yale University, which states that dyslexia affects 20% of the population Mm -hmm. and it represents 80 to 90% of all those with learning disabilities. Um, It's extremely common. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is about 70 to 80% of those who have IEPs, mm-hmm. um, they kind of fall somewhere within the commonality of dyslexia.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wasn't aware of that. But as I was getting ready for yeah. your podcast, I yesterday I watched my son is six and he's very obsessed with football. So we rented mm-hmm. the movie Rudy. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but Rudy Rudiger was this guy. It's a true story. He um Mm -hmm. was very he was five six, but anyway, he had this lifelong dream to go to Notre Dame, and he ended up going. And he actually got into the game at the end. But I was watching the credits at the end. Um, it was just yesterday, and it said that he had dyslexia. I was like, oh my gosh! Mm. And it's so interesting that I was telling uh, my daughter that I was doing this podcast today and what your area of specialty is, and she said, you know what, my teacher actually has dyslexia and she got bullied for it in high school. You know, like she was just telling Mm -hmm. me this stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. So I mean. I mean, the fact that you're saying that it really does affect a lot of people, I think it's something Mm -hmm. to really talk about because I feel like it's not something that I've really had a lot of coursework in or I know you said that you started doing your own research and that's kind of how. (laughs) specializing in it. That was kind of like me for autism. You know, I was like, what am I doing here? How can I help these kids? But for listeners, can you explain what dyslexia is? Like what the characteristics of it are?
1: Absolutely. So first I want to say that when I said I love it about your daughter's teacher, it's because that transparency. I love that when teachers and um, SOPs, OTs, PTs, the whole gamut of us are just being truly authentic with our practices and we're letting our students know, hey, these are some areas I struggled in. I think it gives us more of a actual factual relationship with them. It, it helps them see like we're human too. Mm-hmm. So if we're defining dyslexia, I will say that it is a combination of characteristics. And those characteristics can include reading, writing, spelling, and speaking, as well as comprehension. So a person with dyslexia is going to struggle with those particular tenets. Um, usually they have normal vision and intelligence. And some symptoms could include um, late talking, learning words very slowly, and a severe delay in reading if reading is not taught in that multi-sensory way. When I talk about multi-sensory, I'm meaning that you're including all of those senses that are pathways to the brain. So you are providing them with an opportunity to manipulate the sounds, you are providing them an opportunity to say the sounds, to see the sounds, to hear the sound. you know, so all of those bases are covered. And it's not just a sit and get situation when you're teaching dyslexic learners to read.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember when I worked down in Austin, Texas, I worked in this amazing, so I, I live in Ohio now, a suburb of Cleveland, but, and that's where I'm from. But me and my husband, when we got married, we lived in Austin, Texas, and I had this really cool job as an autism facilitator. But it was a 35 school district. So we had mm-hmm. just this amazing programming because it was just so large. And I remember that certain campuses had a program that was geared towards students who had dyslexia. It was like very specific intervention, and so I feel like I haven't really worked with a student who had that diagnosis all the way you're talking about it. I probably have, and maybe they didn't <laughs> diagnosis, right? Who knows? But what is the role of the speech therapist typically? I guess, do you think that there's a lot of kids out there that maybe have dyslexia that is goes undiagnosed? Is that something that they talk about in the field?
1: Absolutely. I believe that there are tons of SLPs who have children on their caseload, especially in the education setting, and they are not quite aware of how and how to, to treat and intervene with this language-based learning disorder. And I think it truly stems from us having not enough of this information imparted on us in graduate school. So, a lot of the coursework that we took in undergrad and grad school was not about dyslexia specifically. And I think that that did create a barrier as we're going out and we're working. Now, truth be told, after you get out of college and formal education, you are not expected to know everything. You know, there are going to be some things that can take you off your mark. There are still things to this day when it comes to swallowing that I'm like, listen, that's mm-hmm. out of my wheelhouse. Like right, I can provide the anatomy, <laughs> but that's probably where good, it's gonna good end for me. you. I'm done with that. <laughs> and there's just certain things I do. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah,
0: no, it's I don't think people outside of our practice understand how broad our scope is. So I know that, you know, I I am on Mm -hmm. Facebook some and some of the groups I'm in, I was actually just talking with some people in Mm -hmm. the middle school, high school um, SLP and they were like, I, you know, I have this advocate and I'm in a meeting and, you know, they're, you know, being so cruel about some kind of vocabulary goal. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I just went through that this year. I think sometimes when we meet people from outside of the SLP world, they are confused on maybe why a speech therapist doesn't understand like dyslexia or why a speech therapist doesn't understand feeding or why they don't understand mm-hmm. autism or don't feel comfortable with it and mm-hmm. we just have such a broad scope that i feel Great. like you learn so much in graduate school but if you're going to specialize that that really does happen outside when you're in the field because it's just mm-hmm. so broad what we do
1: and you know i think there should be more conversations around creating specializations I don't think that that was even an option for me. It was just go out in the world and be yourself and do what we taught you. It's like, well, wait, I still have questions. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was just going to say, I definitely believe that there should be um, professors that are helping us hone our specialties. If at the the very least, if they don't teach us these specific things about like dyslexia or dyspraxia then they should certainly be kind of the ones to to prod and, and push us so we can do it all and you know all in graduate school when we get out mm-hmm. we might be a little more ready to tackle mm-hmm. these things as they come to us. So, I will say that while the teacher is trained in instruction because I think about teachers versus SLPs, the SLP is trained in intervention. So our knowledge base includes the developmental sequence of phoneme acquisition, the complexity of phoneme production, and those things we do need to tap into as we're working with dyslexic learners.
0: That's great. So as a speech therapist on a public school team, do you mm-hmm. feel like, I mean, are special education teachers receiving instruction that would help with students who have dyslexia? I'm just wondering, as a speech therapist, if we don't have all that specific information, right. we're definitely a part of the team. And as a special education teacher, do you think that they get more training on dyslexia? Or do you think it's very much an area that
1: is kind of underserved in our in our coursework and training across the board? Unfortunately, I would say the latter, that it is something that is not really well researched or documented across the board. And I even think about legislation in states because provisions in each state may look different. I was told in a state that the word dyslexia wasn't even something that was supposed to be utilized because that particular state felt like we don't have enough information on this So let's not go out and Mm -hmm. run and and shout that word. Some states just don't have the adequate education base to, I don't even know how to to put this eloquently because I don't want to just say, you know, this state is bad or this state (laughs) is good. But, you know, like for currently I live in Michigan and there are no provisions in place. For individuals who have dyslexia, so you are kind of on your own, sort to speak. Mm-hmm. But for parents who don't or who are not able to get tested for dyslexia, because they may say, you know, they may go to their district and say, "Hey, this is what I suspect," you know, and you're you're looking at teachers' SOPs and either even special education instructors, and they're like, well, "We don't know which assessments to use," and and we don't. Oh. That's not a part of you know. And it's almost like everybody is kind of pinpointing other people to do it. Like, well, you do it. No, you do it. (laughs) You do it. Right. They're like, I don't don't know what to
0: do. Yeah. (laughs) So who does, who can give a formal diagnosis of dyslexia then? Where do people or parents go if they're like, hmm, you know, I'm wondering about this and I feel like my child might fit some of these characteristics. Like who, who can give an official diagnosis of that? So that's
1: a little blurry, but I will say neuropsychologists or educational psychologists are um, often... Mm -hmm. helpful in recovering that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. SOPs can actually give a diagnosis as well. In addition, teachers who are properly trained can give a diagnosis of dyslexia as well. So it'll definitely depend on the state you're in and the the knowledge that that particular professional would have. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I've seen people go to colleges. um, They're on like really long waiting lists but they're able to get diagnosis at colleges from students there who are being supervised. So again, this is, it's like the wild, wild west. Right. When it comes to, <laughs> it comes to dyslexia, everybody is, is trying to get in where they're fitting in. Right. And there's a lot of information that's being dispersed currently. It's, it's changing rapidly. And as a quick plug, um, some of my colleagues and I are creating a book around how SLPs can become more prepared to assess, treat, and diagnose dyslexia. So shout out to my colleagues, you know who you are, and we're going to be putting a book out later this year about how an SLP's role can um, really heighten that of someone with dyslexia. Oh, that's great. I'm
0: excited about that. That's awesome. Thanks for doing that. So can you share with us some strategies on how we can implement some literacy-based therapy for dyslexic learners? So if people are listening and you know they do have students with dyslexia on their caseload, what are some ways that we could infuse some of that into our therapy?
1: All right. So intervention for dyslexia should include, as I stated, that multisensory structured language approach focusing on the coding fluency training, vocabulary, and comprehension. Furthermore, you kind of want to make sure that you are tapping into those essential components of teaching, reading, which would be the big five. The big five is going to be phonemic awareness the alphabetic principle fluency vocabulary and comprehension so when we are in therapy I would say one of the more easier ways that I've found to like work on blending sounds and word sequence is using books you know that to me is my lifeline if I ever get to a point where, I am in therapy and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to do or how to work on blending sounds into word samples or anything like that. I'm I'm grabbing books, you know, segmenting sound sequence, manipulating sounds and word sequences. I'm tapping into books. I'm doing read alouds. Um, we're looking at phonemic awareness skills. We can tap into fluency, morphology, semantics like the whole nine just by uh, grabbing a book and creating some activities around that book. You can make it a whole thing. And it's also instilling that love of reading for children because what I've seen with teachers, they're doing a lot of what's called close reading. So you can have maybe three or four therapy sessions where you're using the same book, but you are attacking it from different angles. You're using different means to... Um, read that book. So first, and this is just an example, top of the dome. First, you introduce the book, you talk about what you think is going to happen inside of the book. Then you may tackle a couple vocabulary words and say, these are some of the words in the book. Let's talk about what we think they mean. You know, that's an activity in itself. Mm -hmm. And then you actually can read the book. You know, that's something there. And then ask questions around the book, or I just thought about it creating some definitions that have gestures related to them. I guess so many things you can do with a book that has maybe six or seven pages. So for all SOPs listening, that's where you start. Make sure the book is diverse. It's inclusive because I like to tell everybody, not just, you know, teachers or SOPs, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure we're preparing our children especially for a world where they'll interact and intermingle with people that don't necessarily look like them. So if it's a book about a little boy in a wheelchair, that's a go. You know, if it's a book about someone's culture and they're eating some different foods, that's a go. I mean, these are ways in which you're instilling that practice of, um, you know, nobody, everybody doesn't look like you necessarily. They may not think like you, but we're going to still respect their diverse viewpoints and we're going to learn a little more about them.
0: I love that so much. I I did a training, an Asha approved training with Ashley Rossi, and she talked Mm -hmm. about how books should be a window in a mirror. And I I had never heard that before. And I was like, Mm oh, oh my gosh,
1: I love this. I'll go a little further. I just posted Mm -hmm. about them being sliding glass doors and being stepping stones, Mm -hmm. you know, being a beacon of light. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so much that a book can be to us.
0: Yes. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think that's just something to really keep, you know, top of mind. And, and I know a lot of people post on Instagram, like different books that they like to use and and trying to infuse that The, the school district that I work in is very, very diverse. Um, one year I thought this was so interesting. This is it was pre-pandemic. It was like three or four years ago, but we were right by the Cleveland Clinic, so we get a lot of people that that actually move in from all different parts of the world, Mm -hmm. and we had parents come in from um, some of our more uh, represented. And nationalities and they did talks on for the whole district during a mm-hmm. PLC time they did talks on common names in their okay. in their languages and how to pronounce some of the names and just how powerful it is when mm-hmm. someone says your name you know the way that it's supposed to be said mm-hmm. and talked all about that i thought that was really profound because you know people may think that's not a big deal but you know, it is if, if you're unfamiliar with how to say different things and it makes kids feel good when, you know, we're able to say their names correctly and so Yeah. Yeah. And
1: and even if it means, you know, you have a little a little note where you write it out and transcribe it <laughs> so that right, when, you, yes. when you talk to that student, you can glance quickly at that note and say it. Um, so much is attached to our names, our identities, our ancestors. Okay. I have been spending a lot of time in West Africa. I actually just got mm-hmm. back from Ghana and I spent time in Kenya as well, which is in East Africa and then Nigeria, which is again in West Africa and Togo. So I've listened, I've been, I've been Why? some on the continent. But what I will say and what I'm trying to get around to saying, is that the names that they give their children, there, like absolutely amazing. And they'll say, like, I always ask, what does this mean? And they'll um, say things like, God loves me. And the name could be like, Fini Oluasawa, you know, something <laughs> yeah. that's just like, whoa, this <laughs> yeah. is next level. Right. So um, I'm a big fan of the fact that, you know, our names and, and I don't know if in America because I, I definitely identify with American culture. My yeah. father is Liberian, but um I don't know if we really appreciate names as much as our counterparts overseas right appreciate names. Like they attach meaning and sacrifice and, and wonderful things to these names. Like this means leader. And mm-hmm. this means son of the most high you like yeah and, and what does my name mean? I know you're like oh, that's so deep. I'm feeling very I'm not feeling deep right now my name. Yeah I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, interesting. I did Google yeah. I did Google my name. So Jeanette means gracious. And I said like, okay. okay I can hit with that. I can but then again how much can you really find from a quick Google search? I know and, right? and, if, and, if, and if we're honest Rose, my mom, her name is Annette. Okay. She named me Jeanette. And oh. I have a sister named Lynette. Oh. Like, what were you doing? What was
0: going on? Names are big. <laughs> I mean, names are really big. My son's name is Paxton. I'm Italian, yeah. so my maiden name okay. was Donatelli. I used to love that. My name's Rose Marie Rosella Donatelli. So I really I love that. Thank you. I really <laughs> love being very Italian. And we were. I always love the nickname Pax, and that's what. We wanted to call my son and we were going to name him Pasquale, which is a very Italian name. And then last minute, and we didn't tell anybody because when you tell Mm -hmm. people the name, you don't want any kind of like facial, like, oh, yeah, that's, (laughs) we love that, you know? And so we ended up naming him Paxton and now we don't even call him Pax. That was the whole goal. But it's funny because afterwards, and I had him and I was telling my mom, like, oh, you know, we were going to name him Pasquale and she was like, oh,
1: that's terrible. That's a terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm... you look—you like dodged the bullet, huh? Dodged the bullet. That's
0: what she said. I was like, oh my gosh, because everybody has an opinion, but mm-hmm. yes, no, there they're you. so they're so important. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you have any books in mind that might be good starters for? Um, and I know we can do this kind mm-hmm. of, you know, with d- dyslexia and some of the things you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But when you said, I love the idea of vocabulary and pairing it with a gesture, and that's mm-hmm. kind of that idea of like making it multi Would that be an example of of that? Do you have like a favorite? I mean, because I know when I talk about autism, I have like some favorite books that, you Mm -hmm. know, like I always talk about when I go live and things like that. But if you have like a starter book or something that is one of your Mm -hmm. favorites where you use this multisensory approach,
1: what would uh, one of those books be? Okay, so two things. First, um, I didn't know you were Italian. I'm learning Italian now. Oh, I'm yeah. lingo, So oh, shout na- out to me. Oh, nice. Second. <laughs> second. And, and it's a beautiful language. I don't have any in mind, but I will say family favorites are books that are in series so that you can kind of continue that, like, I have a new pizza chat book. Yeah, yeah. Or my brother and me has tons of amazing little stories. Um, And then you know what? I'm saying this, and then I feel bad because I was just saying that, we should have these diverse books, and and now I'm I'm tapping back into animals. So <laughs> let like let me get my mind right. But what I will say for those who are like uh, that's <laughs> contradiction. <laughs> uh, books that are in series are really helpful, and then those that have tons of rhyming. My son and I, uh, we I think we have a pretty diverse library. But I will say every night we would look at um, Llama Llama. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of our favorites because the rhyming was just so perfect. Yes. But um, we that. we definitely have tons of books over here, and and I don't know. I would say that as a parent, I think that that is certainly something you want to make an investment in, even if it's mm-hmm. even if it means getting a subscription to Highlights or even as a. a you know therapists i think having that subscription to maybe highlights wouldn't be terrible cuz you're getting new resources that are around the same and it's not really changing and making things unfamiliar with that child so
0: yeah i love that and just making literacy kind of a part of their i try to model read i mean i'm always reading like now it's either mm-hmm. something with autism or it's usually like a business book now but i do i really okay. love to read so i'm always like modeling that i try to mm-hmm. read with my kids you know, a, a really cute book that we just read is called The Gruffalo. Have you ever read oh, that love book? That
1: one, yeah. They have a movie too.
0: I don't know if you saw oh, the movie. It's so no, cute. it's so cute. <laughs> I just read it. My son's teacher got it to him for gave it to him for like a holiday, you know, Christmas mm-hmm. gift, and the whole class got it. And I read it to him, and I was like, oh. I love this mm-hmm. book so much. It's so mm-hmm. good. So then I've been using it. This is what I do. I take my kids stuff and then I use it for my private clients. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like,
1: right. I mean, I it's so all about cool. sustainability. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can
0: repurpose this. Oh my gosh. Okay. So good. I'm feeling very inspired now to incorporate some of these things into my sessions. Um, mm-hmm. so where can people find out more about you and their, and your work if they wanted to visit and, and learn more about this?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I have a book out now called Technical Difficulties, Why Dyslexic Narratives Matter in Tech. And you're definitely going to want to grab that because I tackle tons of amazing topics like um, conscious bias and tokenism um, in the workplace for those who have or um, who are advocating for those who have dyslexia. Um, next, I am on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok. You simply need to type in barely articulating, and that's going to be like the actual bear, D-E-A-R-L-Y articulating. Um, let's see. I have tons happening on TPT. I release uh, resources very frequently, and I even have a dyslexia screener, a checklist screener for all my SOPs who are are interested in doing a quick screen to see whether that child may have some of those vital characteristics or indicators of dyslexia, go ahead and grab a copy of that. I have one for dysgraphia as well as dyscalculia. And those are some other things that we hear and we're like, I don't know, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you can find me there as well. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. I have merch available on Redbubble. And that is like um, merchandise as far as um, bags and T-shirts that have... um, all of these great literacy factors on there. You might find the first phase of writing. You could potentially find uh, active reading strategies that are created in really cool um, merch.
0: Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and it was great to have you. Thank you, (laughs) Rose. What an amazing episode today with Jeanette Robert. Today, I am going to sum up three of the key points that we discussed in this podcast episode. We talked about dyslexia and Jeanette says a working definition is students who are struggling with a combination of characteristics that include reading, writing, spelling, speaking, and comprehension. We discussed that intervention should include a multi-sensory structured language approach. And so that might mean working on decoding, fluency training, vocabulary, and comprehension. The third take-home point is that we really need to use books that are inclusive and value diversity. And so this would mean books that need to be mirrors, stepping stones, springboards, and sliding glass doors. I love that so much. And I've always been analyzing my bookshelf and what I am sharing with my students. I wanted to end each episode with a couple highlighted key points. And those are the ones that I wanted to talk about today. I hope that all the information that you take from the Autism Outreach Podcast each week when a new episode drops on Tuesdays is actionable and that you can use it either in your therapy room or with your own children at home. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and I'll see you here next time. Remember to keep things fun and functional. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.